Welcome to Coach House Talks. Morning. Good morning. So today, we look at the end of 2 Peter, where we see Peter concluding his letter of warning to the churches, particularly those of Asia Minor, or as we know it, modern-day Turkey at the time. The letter as a whole is a special warning to watch out for false teachers, people who distort meaning in scripture and give false predictions of the future. These false teachers who continue to exist to this day spin us a web of stories and theology that are simply untrue. They look down on heavenly beings and encourage people to deny the supreme and existing power of God and say that there was never a second coming of the Lord for us to look forward to. Maybe these false teachers truly believe in what they say, or maybe these false teachers just want to play around and make a mockery of what Christianity is all about. Either way, Peter, in his second letter, highlights the danger of false teaching, a danger that might hide within the words of great and respected leaders of the Christian world even today. At the end of 2 Peter, we are given two points to highlight. The first is the fact that we are in danger of being deceived and led away from the truth. The second is a command to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. These are active concepts that Peter writes to us as followers of Christ. To some people, These are also admittedly troublesome concepts that appear to go against the idea of absolute spiritual safety. It can make people feel uncomfortable. Yet Peter still wrote these words, even if many of us find this a threat at the end of this letter. Context is important, but the concepts stated here are still rather uncomfortable at the end of the day. Let us first read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, before reviewing a summary of the full letter for context. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, amen. Tradition states that Peter is the author of the two epistles, first and second Peter, for obvious reasons, it's in the name. These two letters, however, were written with different intentions in mind. First Peter is a letter of encouragement to those who are being persecuted and pressured by the local state and culture at the time. Second Peter, however, is a letter of warning against false teachers 
harmful influences, and insincere attitudes. I have a little story I want to share that dates back to my childhood. Some of you know that my parents sent me to study abroad in Thailand when I was nine years old. My family did not come with me, so it was a similar situation as to what people might describe overseas boarding schools. I spent eight years in Thailand making new friends who were in a similar situation to myself before coming here to the UK for my university studies. The story I want to talk about is not about myself. It is about how one of my friends changed after meeting a locally respected religious leader. My friend is not from Thailand, and he was a foreigner like me. His situation was slightly different to mine, Uh, because he had parents living together with him, along with a host of immigrant countrymen all around. I met this friend when I was 10 years old. I know he was the same age as I was. He was a full head or two taller than I was, very tall. He was the tallest schoolboy around the block, shy and calm, but very, very loyal. He would play football and badminton with all of us. He was not a loud person, so he was never the captain of our little playgroups, but he would always be one of the top picks of any team. The teachers thought he was a good person. I know he sometimes looked a little dull. In any case, he was someone I loved to hang around. Um, someone later told me when I was much older, that together with another boy in our class, the three of us looked something like out of a cartoon, uh, a short little gang leader with his two tall goons beside him. <laughs> Above all, however, I felt like my friend was quietly sincere in his Christian faith. He would always wait half a minute before praying very seriously with a wrinkled forehead before every meal during lunchtime, and he would preach to us about hell and Christian principles with utmost seriousness. The story develops a few years later down the timeline, but I'll pause for a moment and return to talking about 2 Peter, a letter of education for those of us who are growing in the Christian faith and a reminder of concern for those who might have already developed some sense of foundation in the faith. The first chapter of 2 Peter is his call to make certain of our faith in Jesus, to establish the basics of Christian living, and to understand the certainty of the apostles' testimony in the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. The second chapter establishes the reality of popular teachers and apparent authorities on Christianity that speak heresies, hidden or otherwise, to ordinary believers like ourselves, those who are in danger of being deceived of the truth. 
Peter does not waste time moderating his language. Those of us who live righteously and remain steadfast in the truth will be delivered. Deliverance, of course, only comes through the recognition of our sinful nature and the salvation that is in Jesus. On the other hand, those who teach falsely, those who indulge in ungodliness, and those who know of salvation but turn away from it will be condemned. This is the judgment of the unrighteous, where someone's actions and decisions completely deny the salvation, truth, and life found in Jesus. These people deny him either by simple lifestyle or actively conjuring up false doctrines in substitution of God's character. They will be assessed, judged by the God who cannot be deceived, and they will be denied a place with the righteous. These lines are clearly drawn, leaving no room for misinterpretation. I was talking about my friend who was sincere in his faith. Even though he was quiet and we were young, he made sure to lecture the boys whenever he felt like we were going overboard at times. We would laugh and shake it off, annoyed that we got lectured, but happy that we had a friend who was a good person. So we kept inviting him to every game or outing we could think of, to which he would do his best to attend, uh, with a long, dusty old duffel bag strapped to his waist. He was an honest boy, becoming one of the tallest young men I've ever seen to this day. He wasn't British, however. <laughs> he was a young man who was involved in many youth camp activities for his countrymen who came to minister to this foreign country of Thailand. I never really knew what he did over these youth camps, but to my young mind back then, I had the impression that he could only do something godly, benefiting society. Putting the story on hold again, we need to talk about the end of 2 Peter, the, the third chapter and the last chapter, where we're given a series of promises and affirmations. We're promised the second coming, the final judgment, and the eternity that awaits after judgment. As Christians, we're given the promise of a reality that is very different to what we see now. The heavens and earth will be destroyed, and a new heaven and new earth will appear, marked by a culture defined by God alone. Unchanging before mortal schemes and politics, defined by godly righteousness. As Christians, we believe this will be real, and that Peter is not talking about some kind of metaphysical metaphor. We look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the certainty 
of God's promises for the future of humankind. In the first few verses of the third chapter, Peter reminds us of the importance of the scripture, not just the meaning and intent, but the very words that were written and spoken in the Old Testament by the prophets. These words are also highlighted by the apostles in the New Testament under the same authority of Christ. These words are denied and will continue to be denied by these false teachers and the unrighteous who do not truly believe that there will be judgment or even an end to our days. They would take matters into their own hands, give power to themselves, and we have liars who pretend to be great Christian teachers, and they can give compelling sermons at times. They will agree that there is a God, um, that the world will eventually no longer sustain humanity, but they will not truly believe in the supremacy of God, where the final judgment rises and falls only at the hands of the Christian God. This friend of mine in this story came back very different after one summer holiday. He fell very ill over the summer when he was around 16 years of age and said, because he was very ill, that he saw visions of hell. At the time, his community of countrymen invited a popular teacher overseas to speak into their faith and help them grow their local ministry. According to my old friend, no one, doctors or otherwise, could help him until the teacher they had invited came in and healed him, supposedly pulling him out of hell. This teacher said that my friend was a very special person and that he had to follow the teacher to prevent my friend from falling into hell again. My friend came back completely changed for the worse. He began worshiping this popular teacher that was very famous back in their country for Christian miracles. My friend no longer played with us. He began muttering strangely, repeating that he was chosen and that only people that were specially chosen could go to heaven. He went back home every day to dedicate his life to this teacher and that the community of his countrymen were also growing ever more strangely and different each day. He began to take time out of school to be involved in his community's activities. So one day, he disappeared from everyone's lives. His social media accounts were deactivated. His phone numbers were no longer valid. He left Thailand without even saying goodbye, only briefly mentioning that he was going to follow his teacher. 
To this day, I do not know where he is or what he is doing. I have no idea if my friend is alive or dead. And to be honest, I am quite angry over this matter. I am angry because my friend was deceived. Most certainly, it is good to be saved from hell. It is good to encourage people to seek heaven. It is good to help the local community. But it is ungodly to worship man. It is ungodly to allow others to worship you, a man as simple as any other. It is heresy to glorify yourself. It is heresy to lay claim on the power to save others from hell. It is deception to claim that the supreme power of salvation rests somewhere else other than in the hands of Jesus Christ alone. And it is foolish to isolate yourself from the community around you. We are commanded, not suggested, to love our neighbors and to share the good news with the world. In my story of this old friend of mine, the popular teacher, despite his great reputation, teaches falsely. These teachings sound like they promote good, good life principles at first, but they are not truly righteous, unable to conform to the character of God. If we believe in Christ, in the necessary sacrifice of our God on a cross, in the resurrection that forever serves as the greatest testimony to the words of God, in the genuine regeneration of the spirit, in the salvation of our living souls, then we must believe in the division of the righteous and unrighteous. In this world we live in, it is not just social media that popularizes gray morality. From the beginning of time, even before the founding of our great nations, man has always tried to promote themselves, modify the truth, and downplay unrighteous behaviors. As it was with Adam, so it is with this world that fears acknowledging that our everyday behaviors, perhaps fueled by national tradition or, or common addictions, are so very ungodly, falling far below the standard as humanly possible. In light of all of this, from this reminder of Peter's letter, we could only thank Jesus, to whom all be the glory for all time. For he gifts us with righteousness, separating us from the ungodliness that has seeped deep into every part of this world. This division exists not because of anything we could have done, but because we realize the reality 
of our wretchedness and accept the salvation that comes from God. This realization is not a simple mental stress reliever that we do every so often, but a realization that comes with a life that should be changing for the better, conforming to the, to the distinctive character of God in anticipation of an end where we are judged and this world will perish. This certainty of the last days is a reminder from Peter for us to act correctly. According to this promise of the world's end, we are commanded to seek righteousness. Our moral character must be holy, godly, and ever striving for excellence in God's eyes. This world, fallen as it is, will pass away, and all worldly powers, materials, and ambitions with it. Therefore, Peter encourages us to look forward to the future, having hope in what lies after this world's end. We will live a new life in eternity afterwards. And Peter writes this letter for us to be diligent and blameless, setting our hearts on the glory of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, Peter concludes here, in the last few verses of this chapter, that now that we know and should be aware of how the final days of judgment will look like, we must be steadfast and persevere. It is a reality that not everyone understands what they read, be it uh, general information or scripture. No one comes into the faith knowing everything about God. However, when you commit to following God, you commit to some basic matters. You commit to absolute authority, a living relationship, a recognition of personal weakness and a need for growth. Being a Christian is not a one-time status symbol that permits spiritual retirement once your first prayer of repentance is done. Faith in Jesus Christ is a journey between a real, living God and yourself. This faith has nothing to do with your physical age, talents, or status in life. If you abide in Christ and live with him, you are constantly being renewed and regenerated in the spirit. Second Peter is a letter of warning where we recognize the possibility of falling complacent or falling away from a righteous lifestyle. It is possible to be deceived by great and popular teachers. It is possible to fall away from righteousness. If you have not made certain of your calling and election in Christ, this can have devastating consequences. 
even if you have made certain of your election and your salvation is guaranteed, you still can be deceived or lulled into complacency for the rest of your life. Peter gives us a direction. We must grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, not just for positive and ever-growing spiritual benefit, but also as a preventative measure against deception and degeneration. Growth is meant to be our default position in life. We should give no special celebration of self-growth, because actively knowing more and becoming more like Christ is expected and prevents us from falling into a pit of self-indulgence and deception. It is to our benefit that we must keep taking care to abide in Jesus Christ. We are commanded for our own sake to continually know Jesus more and to deny any temptations of any sort of spiritual retirement on our part. Your salvation may be safe, but your spiritual life is always vulnerable to deception. Spiritual life and growth are gifts from God, yet also gifts that require our deliberate attention. Those who experience these benefits freely given by God upon receiving such grace from God will naturally give praise and thanks to God who delivers us from all harm. When we are steadfast in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, to God be the glory in this life and the next. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.